Welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen, geeks and geekettes. This is Seth, a.k.a. Xandrax, the mayor of Geekville and the host of Geekville Radio, coming at you with a supersized episode. This will be episode 281. You can find the show notes at geekvilleradio.com slash 281. Got several news items we want to to talk about, including, as maybe what you could tell from that snippet, we're going to talk some Indiana Jones, Marvel dropped the Shang-Chi trailer, as well as some Moon Knight footage, and then we'll wind it up with some DC Comics talk about uh, Batman and Legend of Tomorrow, and then we'll wind everything up by talking Falcon and Winter Soldier. And once again, I don't have to do it alone. Joining me from the nice, soft, padded cell in South Kakalaki, Crazy Train Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. Well, let's get right to it with the news. It was released the other day. I will link the news in the show notes from people.com. I guess it really doesn't get much more mainstream than People Magazine. But, it's about as mainstream as it gets for entertainment, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I still remember hearing Paul Stokey from Peter, Paul, and Mary had the joke of he saw a magazine called People, and then a little later on he saw a magazine called Us, and then he saw a magazine called Self. Just like, well, why don't they just make a magazine just called Me in big capital letters? You know, just keep, <laughs> <laughs> so. just keep that keep that train rolling, huh? <laughs> yeah. But Mads Mikkelsen, who, of course, is no stranger to geek roles, probably known for Star Wars fans for Rogue One, which I think is one of the few times where he wasn't a bad guy, but he has been cast in Indiana Jones 5, the yet untitled sequel. It is set for release in 2022. The only real change to the usual players is Steven Spielberg will not be directing. It'll be directed by James Mangold, who is a very good director in his own right. As luck would have it, July of 2022, Harrison Ford will be 80 that month. Wow. Pretty safe bet, I would think, is this is probably going to be a younger generation that is kind of taking over, and maybe Indy will kind of be in the Henry Jones Sr. role. That that seems like a pretty safe bet, would you say so? Yeah, the, yeah, I would think so. The elderly statesman kind of kind of archetype. James Mangold, that name rings a bell, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm not. I'm 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 coming on a blank on what else he's directed. What else has he directed? Two right off the the bat that I've seen that I can vouch for is he directed Logan. Okay, and, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, and he also directed Ford versus Ferrari, which is a really good uh, movie oh, as well. Okay, so he's kind of even got a little Oscar buzz coming off all this. Then. Exactly, and and with Ford versus Ferrari, when really the biggest gripe you have with the movie is that Poke Saladani is playing during the racing, and you know that the version that they're playing came out long after when the race was supposed to take place, and that's the biggest <laughs> beef you have with the movie. You got a pretty good movie. The the, the music's anachronistic. Yeah. <laughs> so I knew I knew the name ring a bell. I said, I've heard that name. What would I know him from? He, Logan is excellent. Yeah. I think most comic book fans agree that is one of the best comic book adaptations we've ever had. Yeah, it is. It is the... Uh, such a great movie, but to me, it is also the epitome of I only needed to see it once. You know, like I don't have the uh, the Blu-ray or the DVD because it's just 
it's kind of depressing, but at the same time, it's like you can't deny that it is just one of the great, not not just a great superhero movie, but just a great movie. I I don't know because of Blade and Deadpool. Well, no, I think it predated Deadpool. Obviously, Blade came out way before it, but, oh, he also worked on Walk the Line? I'll link his IMDb in the show notes here. Yeah, oh, he directed The Wolverine as well. Yeah, okay. Yep, directed Walk the Line. Which is generally considered one of the better biopics for musicians mm-hmm. and it is you pull it up here here uh, identity's not bad kate leopold that was a uh, hugh jackman that was something bad girl interrupted is pretty good copland is an underrated movie that he directed copland with sylvester stallone That's yeah very, and very that, that was a remake i believe as well i think michael kane was oh. the original yeah uh-huh. he was and one of your favorite one of your favorites 310 to yuma looks like he directed as well mm-hmm. uh, so, so he's done yeah he's done westerns as well so looks like his resume fits all the boxes you need to do an indiana jones movie right i i wouldn't think even though we're talking about logan being r-rated i wouldn't think they would they would go for an r rating they've always had pgb ratings with the indie type franchise right so, yeah it's going to be pg-13 at the at the worst right and of course historically speaking indiana jones the temple Doom was one of the movies that spielberg was involved with that made the mpaa go we need to come up with another <laughs> yeah, yeah rating somewhere i think yeah. that and gremlins were the two that really pushed him wasn't it yeah when you when you pull somebody's beating heart out of their chest that can upset uh, very small kids those are the two movies often cited. I think probably the original Red Dawn is probably what got the ball rolling. Because if mm-hmm. I remember right, it had a PG rating. And it would definitely get a PG-13 nowadays. Probably an R. Because it's pretty graphically violent. It yeah. Per- it depicts war fairly realistically. And just the sheer body count. I think for the time, it oh, was yeah. oh, one yeah. of, if not the most violent movie ever made, just from a body count standpoint. Oh, yeah. Well, it's a war. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 It's a, yeah. But anyway... I'm always looking forward to anything Indiana Jones. I, like most fans, was let down by Shia LaBeouf and, and, and Crystal Skull and all that. But hopefully they learn their mistakes from that one. One of the biggest mistakes, though, and I don't know how you correct it, with Indy, with Harrison Ford going to be 80. Obviously he won't be 80 when the movie drops, but he'll be in his late 70s when he's filming it. I think one of the, one of the my personal, like your opinion on this, mistakes they made was because it was later on, and they had to make it later on because Harrison Ford, unfortunately, aged. Mm-hmm. They made the big baddies, the Soviets, and you really, really want to see Indy fight Nazis. Right. Am I wrong in saying that? Yeah, there, there was something pleasing about Nazis being the bad guys for a movie that takes place in, in the 30s, because, of course, the first three movies were all in the 30s. Right, and then he doesn't fight Nazis. He fights a, a death cult <laughs> in the Temple of Doom. But I still think Mola Ram was, was, was a very effective bad guy. I'm sure you mm-hmm. do, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. And really for the Crystal Skull, like you said, there, there, there were Soviets involved in that. So that one was 2006, so approximately 15 years ago. So that would be 15 years. So we're probably looking at like, like Vietnam era, late 60s, right. early 70s probably for, for this so, one. But that still would be the big baddies would, for an American audit would be communism, wouldn't it? Yeah, I would think Whether so. Chinese or, or, or Russian, I'm not sure which. Who knows? At least for all the players involved, there's nothing that I see that's bad news, especially since John Williams will once again be doing the music. And he's already in his 80s. Yeah, Matt, Mads Mikkelsen, like, like you said, other than, than Rogue One, I can't think of him playing a good guy. He's a bad guy in Doctor Strange. He, for goodness sake, he's played Hannibal Lecter. You know mm-hmm. I mean? So 
I buy him more as a bad guy along the lines, you know, of a Belloc from from Raiders. So mm-hmm. I, I'm fine with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I still think Belloc's probably the best bad guy of all the indie bad guys, don't you? Yeah, because I, I remember I made my own meme when people were trying to find something to celebrate New Year's Eve with. Because there, there's a thing within the Star Wars community, more or less started by Rebel Force Radio. I, can't, I don't know if they truly started it, but they certainly popularized it. But if you start the original Star Wars, A New Hope, at a certain time, then the Death Star would blow up at midnight to ring in the new year. It's essentially the replacement for the apple falling in right, Times Square. Right, right. <laughs> so I had my own thing at Raiders of the Lost Ark, where you start at the right time, then Belloc's head explodes <laughs> to ring in the new year that way. Uh, I think that's another thing, too, though. Not that there weren't elements of it there. I think Crystal Skull, once again, a mistake they made with that one was... And I, I get it from a creative standpoint because of the way movies shifted from the 30s and 40s to the 50s in the time that the movies are set to where it's much more sci-fi with the alien thing. Whereas the first three are more, there's more supernatural going on. You're dealing with a, a, a Christian relic, a, a, a Jewish relic, and a Hindu relics. So there's much more of a supernatural feel in the first three, and then they go to sci-fi. So I think that was another weak point, too. It's just... I think people want to see Indy fighting supernatural ghosts and boogeyman. I think is what he calls it in, in the first movie, you know, in, in Rage. And stuff that's not only historically accurate, but I think accurate to the religion. Because one of the things that I liked most about Raiders of the Lost Ark is everything in it is biblically accurate. Lucas and Spielberg mm-hmm. m- made the Ark of the Covenant essentially biblically accurate. Anybody that touches it died. Right, right, exactly. Still one of the best lines in, in, in any movie ever. When when the when the uh, the guys show up from the government, good God, yeah, that's exactly what the Hebrews thought. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a great line. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But moving on into the superhero realms, we saw this morning, uh, as of the time of this recording, in mid April of 2021, Marvel unveiled their trailer for their latest MCU movie, Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and I put a a little write-up about it on geekvilleradio.com, which I will, of course, link in the show notes at geekvilleradio.com slash 281. It really was kind of an introduction to the Shang-Chi character, and you hear the voiceover of who's supposed to be his father, Wen Wu. And the thing about the Shang-Chi character, obviously it was Marvel's attempt at getting to the Kung Fu I don't know if I want to say Chopsaki, but the... No, uh, he, he came a little after Iron Fist, Danny ran. I think Danny was our first attempt at that. Right, right. But this was more kind of capitalizing on the popularity of the Kung Fu TV show and just kind of going that route. But in the movie, they are making Shang-Chi's father and Wenwu essentially the Mandarin. Because if I recall mm-hmm. correctly in the comics, the Mandarin doesn't really have any real name or he's probably had several aliases but i don't think there's actually a given I, 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 I think real there's name even a storyline if i remember correctly and I've, I've never never followed shang chi greatly when i saw the man i always saw him as iron man's arch nemesis i think though at one point they actually he was fu manchu i'm mm-hmm. maybe i'm wrong right well how that goes is they got the rights for the fu manchu character in the okay. 70s marvel did and so they made shang chi the son of Fu Manchu. Yes, that Fu oh, Manchu. Okay. And okay. then they just kind of readjusted it in the 80s when they lost the rights to that character. 
and they they the character was then named Zhang Zhu. I'm I'm probably butchering it. Yeah, Fu Manchu and Charlie Chan are two very iconic characters that in today's political climate wouldn't cut mustard. Right. People would just not cotton to those two characters. I think you would have a similar backlash to if you went that route to the backlash that they got with Danny Rand. People not knowing the history in the comic book and kind of missing the point, well, there's this white guy who's culturally appropriating. That's kind of the point. <laughs> He's a white guy that got past his, his own quasi-racism and elitism to see past that, but I guess that point was missed on some of the younger folks. Right, right. Now, what they've done for the movies, they essentially just made Mandarin Shang Chi's father, so I think they just kind of made an amalgam of Zheng Zhu and Mandarin and called the character Wenwu, and I think they're doing that just so they can eventually link back to the original Iron Man, because the original Iron Man who detained him it was the the terrorist organization called the 10 rings which of course right. is a reference to mandarin yeah he has 10 10 i believe they're alien aren't they if i remember right remember fang fang foom who was he's a dragon in marvel universe is presented as an alien don't we always say that's what marvel does that's marvel's way they tend to lean more heavy into the sci-fi whereas dc leads more into the mystical mythology we talked about that when we broke down the snyder cut of Justice League with Dave McKinney, South Atlanta mm-hmm. Wrestling. So it's just what those two imprints do. It is what it is. Yep. I did see on the trailer there, when you sent it to me to watch, to prep for this, the release date's September 2nd, correct? Yep. Right, right, of this year. So when is Black Widow coming out? Because I, th- I thought Black Widow was going to be the first MCU movie to come out this year. It got pushed back to July, so this will be coming out approximately two months later. Which is kind of kind of getting them back onto their normal release, what it was before the pandemic. I think it was originally set for release last year, or maybe early this year, mm. and it just got delayed, obviously, because of the pandemic. The pandemic hasn't been that long, but it seems like it's lasted forever. But I was trying to remember, before the pandemic, wasn't it usually like one in the spring, one in the summer, one in the fall holiday season was the usual MCU release schedule? Yeah, yeah. they they, they were. I think they had sw- switched from doing two a year to three a year. Right. Probably because they were trying to get so many in before they did in-game. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right, but in other Marvel news, uh, there is some footage that leaked of Oscar Oscar Isaac training for Moon Knight. And I I know you're a big Moon Knight fan, so I figured you'd be interested in that. It looks like they're definitely making him kind of a, a real butt kicker as far as the type of guy that can take care of multiple enemies at once, right? Right, and you you had sent me some of the footage, and we'd had a discussion off mic about it looked like he was in a lot of capoeira, which is a Brazilian martial art. It has a very interesting history it was the africans that were enslaved in brazil a couple centuries ago were outlawed from practicing their fighting obviously they were afraid they were going to rise up and you know overthrow their masters i wonder why any would slave would want to do that go go figure right <laughs> so these slaves were very very smart they took martial arts from their from their, their, their tribal military and mixed them with dance moves traditional african tribal dance moves and moves that were some european so it looked like when the slave owners would come by oh they're just dancing they weren't dancing they were actually practicing for war but most people have probably seen some capoeira techniques in movies because it is a a dance combined with martial arts it's very aesthetically pleasing on film i'm sure you can Mm -hmm. you can imagine wesley snipes uses some capoeira techniques in his fight choreography he also uses mostly 
traditional Japanese karate because that's what his black belt's in. But he does use some capoeira techniques. I, I think there was a, a little bit of that in the Keaton Kilmer Batman fight scenes. So you've seen it before. It would make sense based on the history of Moon Knight to be a much like Batman, where he probably knows more than just one form of the martial art. How old is Oscar Isaac? He's he's still what forty younger? early forties, I think. Yeah. So he's some plenty young enough to to get in shape and pull it off. You think? Yeah, yeah. He looks like he's going to be one of those guys, kind of like Harrison Ford was, where he's like he he ages normal normally to forty, and then he's just going to stay forty years old for the next thirty years. John Schneider, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I understand what you're talking about. Yeah. Now moving over to the DC part of things. What are you? I'm Batman. We finally got official confirmation because it, it came from his, I believe his publicist. The Rap published a story that Michael Keaton will indeed be Batman again in the Flash movie. Now, we're not really going to spend that much time on this because we spent a good deal uh, on it last year. So I'm just going to link the show to our conversation about that in the in the show notes. Mm-hmm. But... This is going to be the Flashpoint storyline, so this is either going to be probably an older Batman or possibly the Thomas Wayne Flashpoint Batman, uh, has been speculated by myself and uh, several other fans. But I think this might be one of multiple Batmans, but I digress. <laughs> right, right, because uh, allegedly Ben Affleck is going to be part of it as well. So, so yeah, we're probably going to see different incarnations of Batman in the same movie. And we heard, we heard anything about maybe Rob, Robert Pattinson Batman as well? It could be. They're still making his movie, and who knows? Robert Pattinson, maybe he's a young Affleck or something like that. They, they'll maybe they'll yeah. try to link it some somehow. Or, or right. I actually, I take that back. I think it did release that Pattinson's Batman is going to be like an Earth Two Batman. So okay. it'll be it'll be a part of the multiverse, but not in the same universe as Justice League. Well, I, I did like, and this is a little bit of a nice segue here for our next one i i do like how they handled it the flareoverse where the where the michael keaton batman was earth 89 because right. of course 1989 was when that movie came out of course we didn't get to see keaton in, in their crossover we got to see robert wool as the reporter but it was a character that we all recognized for the movies mm-hmm. and then our last bit of news dominic purcell is leaving legends of tomorrow as a regular he actually had posted an instagram post that seemed to kind of be negative and taking a few shots at the studio. He has since deleted that and then it's explained that he's not leaving entirely, that he's essentially going to be a recurring character. So they're probably going to write him out in some capacity, which it's going to be easy to do since the character has a daughter. So, But with his departure, I think that would leave only Katie Lotz and Nick Zano as the original cast members left, if I recall correctly. Well, let's see here. Yeah, Brandon Routh is gone. Mm-hmm. Victor Garber's gone. Uh, what's his name? Played Rip Hunter. He's mm-hmm. gone. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, 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 right. Hawk, the Hawk Girl and Hawkman, they're, they're gone as well. So. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Although it does look like we're still getting Matt Ryan, so that's that's. Whitworth good. Miller's gone, so yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. There was a time when I think Heat Wave was really the reason to keep coming back because he, he was just so entertaining and so funny. But he's he's good. You know, story. he's really good. Right, right, exactly. I said before it'd be uh, hilarious to have like a short sitcom episodes where he gets a new roommate and then winds up torching the guy by the time the episode's over. Anytime an episode ends where his his version of Rory 
and Katie Loach's version of Sarah just having a beer together. That just kind of fits, doesn't it? Right. Or I remember there was a line of a piece of cake. What, you think that was easy? No, I want a piece of cake. And a beer. <laughs> so that that's probably the worst news we've seen in this batch of news here. But I, like, like I said, it looks like he's not going away entirely. He's just probably going to pop in here and there for some of the big well, angles. He, even Wentworth Miller has come back a few mm-hmm. times. Right, so. right. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into Falcon and Winter Soldier. This is Geekville Radio, and we will be right back. Examining the Doctor, a weekly look at everybody's favorite Time Lord, the Doctor. Join Mark and Seth as they bring their signature blend of knowledge and humor to favorite and not-so-favorite episodes of Doctor Who. From Hartnell to Capaldi, Examining the Doctor provides episode commentaries for classic and current Doctor Who fans alike. Examining the Doctor, available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at geekgoradio.com. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! All right, we're back, and one of our favorite things to talk about over the past month has been Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We're going to cover episodes four and five, and our last episode we covered two and three. So, really, we're, we kind of saw the what might be the end of the second act, maybe beginning of the third act with. Episodes four and five. I, I think episode four, the one I was titled The World is Watching, uh, this may have been the most action-packed episode yet because it, it really kind of picked up with A.O. and there was the Dora Milaje. I, I keep butchering Dora the name. Milaje. Dora Milaje. I think there were probably a good three action sequences uh, in there between the characters. So and Probably the biggest news to come out of it is that Battlestar slash Lamar Hoskins is dead. He was killed by Carly because Carly was trying to set up where they could take out Walker, the new Captain America. Mm -hmm. And Lamar kind of ran interference and made the save. And then she punched him through a pillar and and killed him. Well, at least he got the hero's death. Yeah. And then Walker tracked down Nico, who earlier in the episode had mentioned that he admired Captain America because he liked what he stood for. And then in the closing moments, he gets killed by Captain America. So it's kind of a, how would you say, a bookend or kind of a ring of Mm -hmm. the character being done in by one of his heroes. Does that sum up the episode pretty well for you? Yeah, yeah. And I once again call back the way he snaps and kills Nico is the same way that Steve Rogers' cap used his shield to stop Tony Stark's Iron Man in Civil War. So we're getting these callbacks again. I think st- on top of being a lot of action, there was character development. It, we begin to really see the cracks in Walker when he kind of gets his butt handed to him by the door of Milaje. He makes that comment, well, they're not even super soldiers. Right. Doesn't understand how well-trained the door of Milaje or how technically advanced the Wakandans are. Right. So it, it's, for God's sakes, they were part of the army that fought Thanos at the end of, of Endgame. So... <laughs> mm-hmm. These are not slouches by any by any stretch of the imagination. There was there was the also the 
that conversation that Walker was having with Lamar and the bar, if you had a chance to take the Super Soldier, would you do it? And he's like, yeah, and Lamar's like, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he even quotes from the original Captain America film that not only does it enhance your strength, it enhances who you are, which is why it worked so well with Steve, because Steve, right. uh, through and through, is a good man. Right, right. And and we never see Walker take the super soldier serum. We see him grab the vial, and then the next fight scene, he's like a complete badass. So it's obvious. And it's they've been leading us down this path the whole way, that he feels inadequate with as captain america and that he's a lot like tony early on thinking that all of the good things that came out of for steve came out of a bottle now understanding that there was a lot more to steve rogers than just a super soldier yeah and where i think and this is just my own personal theory or thoughts this isn't based on anything in the comics or anything that i've that i've read i think walker obviously he was supposedly a a, a star athlete in school and then he had an exemplary military career I think he kind of got used to everybody praising him and him kind of being naturally good at what he did. So when right. he starts failing, especially as Captain America, I think that's one of the things that brought out the frustration and kind of causes him to snap in the first mm-hmm. place. You, you see that in, in professional athletics a lot. You'll have these like the star quarterback or pitcher or like a big-time position on a team who was so good that they dominated at the high school level and led their teams to state titles and went to you know one of the bigger colleges and helped that college win a national championship, win a lot of games. And then because of the way the drafts are set up, the worst teams get a first crack in the draft. And so the first couple of years until they build a team around that person, they lose. And you've seen it, you're a sports fan, mm-hmm. where yep. some of these guys, their hot shots coming out of college drafted high they never fully recover because they're they go to a bad team to start out and they just never ever and i it, i think it shakes them to their very core it's like they've never experienced that struggle that 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 having to oh this is what it feels like to lose you know right right <laughs> right it, it, a real life version of casey at the bat the all-star yep. player and when it comes to crunch time he fails right Babe Ruth struck out a lot. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Hank Aaron struck out a lot. It is It is what it is. Yeah. Not every pass Joe Montana threw was a touchdown. A lot of them were interceptions. One of my favorite commercials back in the day, I think it was the early to mid-90s, Michael Jordan. And I... He, he missed a shot on occasion. You know yeah. I mean? <laughs> yeah. I think I want to say it was a Nike commercial, but he, had, he went through the stats of all the times he was trusted with the game-winning shot and he missed. And yeah. the... Moral of it is I succeed because I fail. Yes. And I I think Walker's dealing with a lot of that right now. <laughs> right. Right. And a perfect example is he's he's kind of walking in just trying to take charge and saying they got to take down Carly with force. And Sam wants to talk her down because that you know that's something Sam is very good at is trying to get through to people who are having their, their issues. And if Steve was around, if it was if it was Steve Rogers, not only would Steve Rogers think it's a good idea, Steve might have, do it. Yeah, Steve might have done it himself. Yeah, because Steve would rather go without a fight. Every time this comes up, I keep thinking there is no better hero in the MCU suited to try to talk down Carly than Sam, because Sam is a medic who ran these support groups after the war when he first meets Steve, helping guys coming back from Afghanistan deal with PTSD. 
So is there any anybody in the MCU more better suited to deal with those type of problems? No. Right. The only other one that I can think of is Bucky Shrink, and that's only because her kind of specialty is dealing with military people. And she's not really a hero, though. She's just a, a tertiary character. You know? Right, right. Bucky, Bucky's got his own issues. It's not that he's not willing to talk people down. He is. I think he, because of his own PTSD, he'd rather avoid the fight. Right. He was avoiding the fight quite well when Baron Zemo fingered him for the bombing at the UN. But I did think it was funny, speaking of Bucky, in that fight scene where the head, where Oya, the, 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 the second in command, the door of Malaje, like hits all those buttons on his arm and his arm falls off. Like she's Wakandan. She knows how it works, man. And he's like, Oh crap. (laughs) He got literally disarmed. He did. Yeah. Thank you folks. Seth will be here all week. (laughs) Yeah. Try the veal. Uh, But uh, that fight was, was so great because obviously we're kind of enjoying Walker getting his ass handed to him. And not only that, but Bucky and Sam are just kind of sitting there watching it. And it's just like, ah, do you think we should help out? And of course, when they, join in the fight they're fighting defensively they're right, they're yeah. trying to talk him down as well yeah and the other thing too is this is never brought up but it's, it's obvious john we talk about this off the mic all the time where wrestling is concerned sam and bucky are are, are battle-hardened veterans john's not and he's that cocky rookie who doesn't understand maybe you need to see to the vets they might know something i don't know you know yeah yeah exactly so yeah, yeah. it is what it is now, as far as the fifth episode goes, this one really only had one action sequence, really before the the credits rolled, where Sam and Bucky take the, forcibly take the shield back. Right. But I think what it lacked in action, it more than made up for in plot and character advancement. This this really set up, I think, the final battle at least as far as the episode is concerned i'm ex- i i personally am expecting season six to probably be kind of a big knockdown drag out for most of the episode right right they don't actually show it but bucky shows up because sam in the course of his fight with john gets his wings suit broken and one of my favorite moments in that episode was how they handled riding baron zemo out of out of the series now mm-hmm. how bucky pulls the gun on him you think he's going to shoot him, he pulls the trigger, but it's empty. Right. You realize at that point, Zemo's ready to die. He's right. very suicidal. Yeah, you know? he, he accepted his fate. Not, it's not that Zemo wants to die, I think, so much as I think he almost feels like, well, I get it. I deserve it. He, he kind of got his wish by turning the Avengers against each other. And so he's like, I, I think he got his measure of revenge. So I, mm-hmm. he was just ready. The fact that he went to that memorial and Sokovia for the people who died in Age of Ultron. They're really driving home. He's more of an antihero than he is a villain. He, I think he truly did love his wife and, and child, and he still mourns their loss. All right, am, am I the wrong? Are, do you feel that way at all, or am I wrong in that? Oh No, I think you're right. I think he is a good example of lawful evil, where, yes, he was vengeful, and, yes, uh, he did a lot of, what, you know, evil underhanded things, but there are codes that he probably does not cross. Yeah. He, he keeps his word to Sam and Bucky throughout their, their whole time. He doesn't try to double cross right. them or anything. He just keeps them at arm's length. And as far as a suicidal or like ideation, accepting his fate, he did try to commit suicide at the end of, at the end of civil war. It mm-hmm. was only T'Challa's interference prevented it. Right. Right. Which one of the great lines when he choked him out and, Oh, the world of the living is not done with you yet. And, but, but, and- but go, but but that scene leads. So let me finish real quick. That scene leads to 
essentially Bucky turning Zemo over to the Dora Milaje. And you're thinking, oh, no, they're going to take him back to Wakanda. They're going to give him a thousand years in the electric chair. But they even tell him we're going to take him to the raft. Right. And then he's like, I have one more favor. And we find out later on that favor is it looks like he got the Wakandans to build Sam a, a set of wings. So there'll be an improvement on the ones he even had. We don't see him, but we see the case. The show ends with them open. It's almost like that scene with, with Travolta in Pulp Fiction where he yeah. opens up the case. We Marcellus Wallace's we, case, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are we happy, Jewel? Are we happy? We happy, Vinny? Oh, we, we happy, Jules. <laughs> yeah. It reminded me of that scene, but but I also think we've talked about how it's been confirmed about a year or two ago that Baron Zemo is essentially going to be the Deadshot character in the Thunderbolts. In other words, he's going to be the lead villain character in in that that Marvel and I think the way they, they handled it with him kind of being an anti-hero now and the fact they're going to take him to the raft instead of back to Wakanda sets up perfectly for that. What say ye? Yeah, yeah. And, and for those who may not know or, or know as much about the, the reference of the raft, it's really it's mainly in Civil War. It's, it's where some of the bad metahumans are, are taken and it's supervised directly by well, former General Ross, or I guess he's Secretary right. of State Ross now, but with the William Hurt right. character. It is the prison that, that Team Cap winds up in, in Civil War, that at the end of that movie, he frees them all from. That's that's where he, they've got Wanda and Clint and Ant-Man. They're all, Sam, they're all locked up there. So, And the raft is directly from the Marvel comics. I don't want to say it's their Arkham Asylum, because DC has two or three different Types of they have they have Bell Rev, which of course is the prison from the Suicide Squad. They have Blackgate. They have Iron Heights, which you've seen in the Flareoverse. But in Marvel, the big one is Rikers Island and the Raft. Mm-hmm. The Raft, like you said, is where they where they incarcerate individuals with superpowers. So no, even though Z- Zemo is not empowered, it probably is a good idea to put a guy like that in a place like the Raft because he's going to figure a way to escape if he wants to. Don't you agree? Yeah, or or manipulate others to do his bidding for him, and he doesn't even have to sure. leave the cell. Yep, yep, exactly. So Yeah, now as far as the character development, like we were talking about uh, Sam and Bucky, they definitely have earned respect because Bucky basically shows up and just offers to help fix Sam's boat because you know, going back to the first episode, Sarah's afraid she's going to have to sell the boat because she's not making any money with the family business. And then Sam has the idea, well, let's fix up the boat and we have people that we know we want to, we know want to help us. So you kind of got that bonding friendship moments with Sam and Bucky working on the, the boat. And I, I think it kind of sets it up where they, they have the respect for each other that you were hoping they were going to have at the beginning of the series. Right. I also think that that was their chance to do their montage scene because I think everything mm-hmm. like this is montage, right. a training montage. All action movies, action shows have a montage, and this was their montage. <laughs> right. I did like that, you know, when Sam's sitting there like crazy trying to sledgehammer off that railing on the boat, and Bucky just walks over with his arm and rips it off for him to walk back <laughs> to whatever he was doing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned about Sam losing the wings with uh, Walker ripping them. He he has that talk with Torres afterwards, and when he leaves, he just tells Torres to to keep him. In the comics, of course, Torres becomes the new Falcon when Sam becomes the new Captain America. So, right, right. You know, we we may see a spinoff from there. Sure, possible, 
possible. We finally, though, in the montage and all this, we get the buddy stuff that you thought they're always going to go for anyways. Speaking of montage, there was a brief montage in the post-credits with Walker essentially making his own shield. I don't know if he's going to get a U.S. agent-style outfit, but he was approached by the big... It, w- it wasn't advertised as being big. I think it. I think the the fans kind of turned it into a big thing. But we got the debut of Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, who's had she's been with Shield, she's been with Hydra, she's been with Leviathan in the comics. I think they're and just. I always, kinda, I always heard her just called the Contessa. Is usually how they refer to her in the in the comics, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and she even had romantic relationships with Nick Fury, and I think even Cap for a while as well. Did she, did she have some of Baron Zemo too at one point? Uh, maybe, but my hunch because it, it's clear it doesn't look like the character is very heroic, and Gila Louise Dreyfus does a great job kind of hitting the how would you say the eccentric part of the the characters, mysterious almost. Right, right, because the the character in the comics she was a Shield agent for a long time but then she was actually madam hydra for a while and right. then actually turned out to be a triple agent for leviathan which we saw a little bit the kind of the formation of in the agent carter series so i yep. think i think we're she's going to be a villain my this is my hunch because i know one of the questions everybody's asking is who is the power broker and i'm not saying val is i think she may know who who is but i think it's a pretty safe bet that val and sharon are in cahoots in some capacity because how else is val gonna know that San- that walker doesn't have the shield and that he took the super soldier serum and his locations really sharon's probably the the only person we know of that would probably know that because she was keeping tabs on him through her satellites but i also think that sharon has an ulterior motive she's kind of playing both sides of the fence because she's been in a kill or be killed world for the last however many years eight years i think 15, 15 maybe probably total mm-hmm I, I still think one of the best bet fan speculations I have heard about the power broker, and I think I've, I, I threw this idea out to you off mic, and you was like, yeah, that's not bad, is is, is Arnim Zola. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, because uh, he could have some sort of serum that keeps him alive. Or he, or he, or he could just be, he'd just be an AI, mm-hmm. and just kind of like kind of like an Ultron, where he just yeah. flips around the, in, the internet. Or I think it's pretty obvious it's going to be the Mephisto we didn't get in one division. That's that's what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You want Mephisto badly, don't you? <laughs> if we're going to get Mephisto, we know they got Ghost Rider back. Why don't we just use him in Ghost Rider Blade? But but I, I digress. <laughs> yeah. But the funny thing about Val or the Contessa is she actually debuted in the Black Widow movie. But since it got delayed due to COVID, we're seeing her for the first time here. So. Uh, well, at least they're able to cover it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Having the character be a bit mysterious, since we haven't seen Black Widow yet, I think kind of adds to the intrigue. Sure. And uh, it looks like the the final act here, episode six, is really going to deal with the Flag Smashers hacking the GRC vote. Because what, what the GRC was doing there is they're essentially deciding whether they're going to deport all the people that suddenly came back from the blip that they were calling refugees, right? Right. Like I said, I, I was very concerned going into it the first episode or after it was over, how are you going to present the Flag Smashers as villains when their ideology is quite popular right now? And it's, I'm I'm for borders, okay? I, I'm not, we right, don't get political right. a lot on this show, but I am a person who, who very proudly is American and, and realize I've been blessed to have traveled overseas and have 
had no bad experiences ever. She loved all the nations I visited. But I, I just feel like the world is a better place if nations have their own borders. But with all that being said, I am intelligent enough to understand, in theory, if everybody wants to play nice, a world with no borders would be awesome. That's Star Trek. It would be great. Right. There's always going to be that one jerk who ruins it for everybody. You know? Right. So, <laughs> and and I, so I think they've done a good job at making Flag Smashers have benevolent ideology and goals, but still painted them as bad guys because Carly can't see the forest for the trees. You right. Know? Right. I, I think a good way of putting it, and these are my words and nobody else's, I can kind of see where they're coming from about the whole thing of, like you said, Star Trek. We're all in the same world. Why should we have borders? But when you start blowing people up to make your point, that's that's where mm-hmm. you kind of lose me. <laughs> so. Right, right. It's like, okay, yeah. It's it's just because your 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 intentions are good, your your actions should speak to those intentions. But right, I'd be remiss if we didn't mention that we got Carl Lumley again. We had to return Isaiah Bradley, and we we got more of his backstory, which was already told in the comics. I think it was like. Uh, Truth, red, uh, red, white, and truth, or something like that. Is the fifth episode was called Truth, and we got the story of how Isaiah Bradley was essentially imprisoned for doing the same thing that Cap did in the original Cap movie. You know, essentially charging in and, and freeing a bunch of people. Cap got heralded as a hero for that, whereas Isaiah Bradley they threw him in prison and experimented on him for for thirty years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I think was impressive about that is they could have taken the time and the budget, I suppose, if they wanted to and shown kind of a flashback with a young version of Isaiah Bradley being tortured or experimented on or something like that. Right. Right. They, they didn't do that. And I think part of it is because it shows how great of an actor Carl Lumley is because Mm -hmm. he pulled off that monologue entirely by himself. And that takes a hell of an actor to be able to pull that off. He did. He did. And I think Anthony Mackie did a good job being the person to play off of there. Right. Because it, it, it really seems like how the story has gone, at least from Sam's point of view, is it wasn't so much a racial thing, him handing over the shield, as much as that he just doesn't feel like he's worthy of carrying the mantle that Steve did, even though Steve right. believed in him. And we just said we don't like to get political. But I think this is more social than it is political. I think the way they handled that with a black man from that generation versus the thoughts of a black man from our time and how they would perceive the government's treatment of of people of color was very realistic. It's um and, and I, they're a different they're a different generation, you know. Yes, exactly. And it's I experienced that firsthand. One of the first one of the black girls I dated Neither her parents nor my parents were against it. They were just warning because they were from that that baby boomer generation. Oh, you might have some trouble, which mm-hmm. you would have back in their time. But by the 1980s, you know that you grew up in the 80s. It wasn't that big yeah. a deal to our generation. No yeah. big deal. Mm-hmm. Lots of black girls dated white guys and vice versa and, and Hispanic. It didn't matter. We were the first generation to kind of be like, who cares? And right. so my parents and her parents were a little wary. But they raised us to not be that way, so they were okay with it. But her grandfather, who came from the Jim Crow South, was very, very not down with. And she fought it harder than I did, but I just came to an acceptance, even as a young 16-year-old, 17-year-old man, that he's just from a different generation than you are, Right. 
and, and and I don't begrudge him his bitterness because I wasn't alive, but I've heard the stories. I've read I've read the history books. I know what happened to black people, not only in the South, but all of America in that time, but especially in the South. And I understand not to get too adult here because we, we don't have the explicit rating on this podcast, but there were some terrible sexual things done to black women in that mm-hmm. era by white men who saw the black women as less than human almost. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of his granddaughter being romantically linked to a white guy, I get it. I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. And I never begrudged this gentleman that. He still was my elder when he saw things and experienced things I never did. So I never begrudged him. I did the best I could to allay his fears. I don't know if I ever did, but I tried. But I, I think that that personal experience for me, Falcon is – He's presented as what, probably in his mid thirties, late thirties yeah. in the show. Yeah, in the yeah show. I think he's probably so mid thirties at the latest. So you're thinking he's he's not quite our generation, but he's like the tail end of our generation, right? Uh, of a Gen Xer, so maybe the beginning of millennials. He was raised in a completely different time. He was raised like us, where it's interracial dating was not that big a deal. The Civil Rights Act had passed and been been in play for a long time. Carl Lumley's character, Isaiah Bradley, he was before that time, and even though he saw the transition. And saw the, the Civil Rights Act passed, doesn't matter. He knows firsthand what happened, how he was treated. And so I thought it was very well handled. Right, right. It, it was respectful, I think, to both points of view or the different points mm-hmm. of view. Exactly. And I think a lot of movies nowadays, they, they try to pull that off and they don't do it because a lot of the, a lot of the writers and directors are young people and they just they think that that generation before them was something that it was not. They think all black people were picked on. They think all white people were these racist clan members, and they weren't. It was the people who were willing to accept the end of segregation that brought it about. And that wasn't just black people, and that wasn't just white people. It was a combination of the two. And they seem to have missed that step. But our generation, I guess, was, clo- was closer to it and was being told the stories by those who went through it. So we probably know a little bit better than they do. And so I felt that whoever wrote that either – has a better understanding of history and acceptance of what history is and putting it in context than a lot of writers nowadays. And I mean, who knows? I mean, Carl Lumley's been around a long time. He might have even suggested some of that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay. And Lumley, of course, and as an actor, I think is about the age of the of like our parents, the baby boomers. So he would have been a black yeah. man who went through the change and the end of the Jim Crow laws and 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 the Civil Rights Act being passed. Yeah. Am I correct? And then he like in his like mid to late sixties. Yeah, I want to say he's late. Late 60s, possibly early 70s. He would have been a teenager probably during the civil rights movement. Yeah. So yeah. he saw it firsthand as a black man in America. Yeah, sound, sound, sounds about right. Let's take a look to the wiki, Robin. Yes, he'll be 70 this year. So There you go. There yeah. you go. Ten years younger than my father, who was mm-hmm. married or just come home from Vietnam when the Civil Rights Act started. So 65, 66. So yeah, he would have been a high school kid. He, he saw it firsthand. No. Mm-hmm. All right, class, you got all that. I want a full report uh, by the next episode. <laughs> yeah, so now we've had our, our American history and civics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, can you really talk about Captain America and not talk a little bit about history? It's kind of kind of an integral to the character right. and the it, whole mythos. Well, yeah, yeah, it, it is one of those things. I don't mind saying it and people knowing that I believe this publicly. Obviously, I, I, I love the country. I love, I love the USA. I love being an American. But mm-hmm. I'm also aware that we did some bad things. And I'm also aware that... The star super soldier of World War II, no way in heck they'd let that be a black dude. It, it, it's right, just, right. It, 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 was, it, it was what it was. It doesn't make it right. It just exactly. makes it reality. 
Right. It's, right. It's a reality. And, and, and I always tell people who are quick to point out, well, that's what's wrong with this country. Is that what's wrong with this country? Or how about what's right that we've gotten past that? We learn from our mistakes and we've made, taken measures to see that it doesn't happen again. That I think is more important. And I think that's, that's a key missing factor. When you talk about Captain America, and I don't mean Steve Rogers, what we're seeing in the show, this struggle that, that Sam's have accepting the mantle and some of the struggles that John Walker is having in trying to be Captain America, and he's not a good one, is that is kind of, to me at least, as, as a fan of, of, of the title, has always been what Cap- Captain America, yes, he started out as a propaganda character to promote America's involvement in World War II. But I think he progressed to being well beyond that. And they progressed to the writers saw Captain America, no matter who had the shield and had that mantle, was that you can call it nationalistic, you can call it America exceptionalism, whatever. This idea that America, even with all its flaws, is kind of a leader in the world and that the Captain America, whomever that is, should represent all of our positive qualities. And that is tolerance. That is acceptance. That is uh, freedom and liberty and all these things that are catchwords for some people. But I think that the writers of the most of the writers of Captain America over the 60 some odd year history of the character have realized that's what it really means. It's not it's not Steve Rogers. It's not Sam Wilson. It's not Bucky Barnes. It's this very, very high lofty idea that. The, the ideals that America is built on is what that character is supposed to represent. The ideas that we just all listed. These are all the things that we as Americans, if we're a proud American, we usually think, we usually think and sometimes we're wrong, that that's what makes us great is we have all those. And, and like we said, we make mistakes. We don't always live up to those standards, but we should try. And I think that's what the writers try to do with Cap. I mean, I'm sure you agree. You're the you're the Cap fan. Yeah, we have one of my favorite Cap quotes, and it's w- what I have on the alignment poster over at the Geekville Radio Facebook page where it's Cap is being lawful good and he says I'm loyal to the dream like the 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 American dream of being what you want to be and and all that that's I think Cap through and through that I don't Mm -hmm. think Cap would make political statements I think he would just be the type of person to say you be what you want to be and you and you work as hard as you can to achieve it yeah you hear me say all the time off Mike our listeners don't hear me say this a lot I'll do me, you do you, and as long as you doing you doesn't interfere with me doing me, we will have no problems. That's Absolutely. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> there, well, there was that scene. It was the same scene where Walker asked Battlestar if he would take the serum. They were kind mm-hmm. of talking about what got them their military accolades. And it's kind of what we were talking about. They knew they weren't doing very nice things. They, they knew they were yeah. Uh, yeah. Pro- probably hurting a lot of innocent people. They didn't really mm-hmm. go into that, but it's just like if the people knew what – we did to get these awards. They, and I forget exactly what Walker <laughs> they, said. They, but... take them. they would take them. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, 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 I don't know why. I guess it's just human nature. We have always historically in, in mankind elevated our military heroes and war heroes to a level. And don't stop to think that some of the things that they did that won that battle or saved the day in that battle probably were not very nice. And people died. Mm-hmm. Right. They just happened to die on the other side, so you're okay with it. Does it mean any any less people are dead? Uh, the last thing I had on the list here was we know Sharon Carter essentially freed Batroc or Batroc, however you pronounce it, and he shows up with the flag smashers by the end of the episode, saying he will kill Falcon. So they kind of imply that Sharon may have hired Batroc to kill Falcon. I don't think that's it per se. Again, I think Sharon's kind of playing both sides of the fences here. I think she's yeah. 
got I think this own... is going to play out to be something very different in the long run. Right. Or we could always go with what we've talked about before, that in the comics for a while, Sharon Carter was actually brainwashed, much right. like Bucky. Mm-hmm. It's just, I find it difficult to believe that they would take a character who, you know, with, let's face it, she is the big love interest for Cap in the comics. I don't think mm-hmm. they would take a character like that and turn her evil, turn heel for the movie, especially since she seemed to be respectful for Cap and helped him out so much in Civil War. Granted, it's kind of icky yeah. that he basically kissed his own, what would it be, uh, great-niece or something, or grand-niece or something like that? Right. Yeah, but at that time, we didn't know that, and she didn't know that that Steve was you know, with his... And that, that, well, that Steve wasn't with her aunt, Peggy, right. at the time. Right. It was the and, older Steve, so... Right, and it was uh, you know, it was like the Luke and Leia thing in Empire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, let's be honest, that was just real quick maneuvering by by George to get out of something that he probably he just he didn't spur the moment, anyways. <laughs> right, right. It's like, whoops, so, I kind of screwed up. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, well, there's a whole thing that I could go into, but I'll keep it very, very brief, and probably talk about it in a later episode when we dive more into Star Wars. But yeah, the original intention was for Luke and Leia to not be siblings. That Luke was going to have a sister that was going to come across, come up in what was originally going to be Lucas's episode eight. But Lucas changed his mind several times and he just kind of wound everything up with Return of the Jedi and just decided, okay, well, they're, they're brother and sister. That way he winds up the whole thing of Yoda saying, no, there's another after. Right. Uh, says that. Correct, me, correct me if I'm wrong. His intention was always for, for Han and Leia to have a romantic relationship. And Han was actually supposed to be a little bit older in his original mm-hmm. drafts. Yeah, yeah. And. I think there was even the character that became Chewbacca was married to Han at some point, but I think Lucas knew he probably wouldn't be able to get away with that in the 1970s. But I've always been meaning to do another show just kind of on the, the different ideas that Lucas had over the years. And that changed over time and Mm -hmm. and morphed into different things as the movies were actually made. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll ask our listeners right now, if you, if you want to hear something like that, uh, let us know this is Geekville radio. Radio.com. You can respond there. We also have social media on Facebook and Twitter at Geekville Radio. And if you're listening to us for the first time, you can find us pretty much wherever great podcasts can be found. We can find on most of the major podcatchers, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, you, you name it, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Train. If anybody wants to get a hold of you to talk to you about comics or wrestling or wherever, where can they find you? I'm always available on Twitter at crazytrain underscore JB. That's pretty much my handle across all social media platforms. So if you do a search for Crazy Train and that comes up, more than likely it's me. All right. So we're going to shut down the power here at the Geekville Radio Studios. Thank you, folks, for listening. And we'll talk to you folks again next time. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any product or company unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the host and or guests are purely their own and do not represent the views of GeekvilleRadio.com, A1-Wrestling.com, or any affiliates. Some media used on Geekville Radio is the respective copyright of its publishers, all rights reserved. You were right, though. This is a total buddy cop. We even got the... Uh... The one, the one partner having a flirtatious relationship with the other partner's sibling. <laughs> yeah. Though, though I can't blame Bucky because Sarah's not an unattractive woman by any means. So. Right, right.